0: This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. This message has been uh, percolating within me since August. So uh, if I pop, I apologize because it's just been brewing like crazy. Um, you know, a couple... Um, you know, let's let's start by praying. Maybe that'll settle me down a bit. Um, Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We thank you, and come in your power and your glory today. Amen. Um, you know, this God gave me this this vision in August last year, and uh, and it was of us as a church, and we were we were walking towards this place, and for the last nine and a half years, we we're slowly getting towards this place, and and. I saw this door, and it, around this frame at the top, it's said, it a said House of Miracles, and that was what represented us as Impact Church. And this last nine and a half years, we've been slowly treading towards this place, and I believe that our hand is on this doorknob, ready to go in. And on the threshold, on the other side of this, on the, when we step through that door, on the other side of it, I believe that we're going to enter a place of the daily miraculous of God. That we're going to go from a place of, you know, now we're seeing miracles more frequently, but we've been seeing them on a monthly basis or a weekly basis. But I believe that once we cross that threshold, that it's going to be an everyday miracle, everyday miracle. And we're going to go from a place where we, were, where we hope for the miraculous to where we expect it to happen on a daily basis. Amen? And, and, and that's... that's that's what God said to me. The, the, the words that he spoke to me were, were that we were entering a culture of expected miracles. And that is, that, that's really what I'm titling the message this week and next week, is, is, is how to cultivate a culture of expected miracles. And really, that's just like fancy Christian way of saying, get your popcorn ready, because God's about to move, okay? God's about to move. Um, really, though, my goal this morning is to just stay vertical. That's all I care about, because... Anybody who's out there in counter retreat, no. <laughs> um, so I want to start this morning with a, a rather obscure verse that you wouldn't really expect uh, when talking about the miraculous, uh, and it's in Matthew three verse two, and it says, "Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near." What a weird place to start! Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, in the natural, we know exactly what that means, and John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus, and he was saying, "Repent of your sins, because the kingdom of heaven is near." But that word, repent actually means to change one's mind. And I believe today for us, that God is calling on us to change the way that we think because the kingdom of heaven is near. Change the way that we think about the miraculous because the kingdom of heaven is near. Change one's mind. Change the way that you think about when your spouse has a headache. Change the way that you think about when your child has a fever. Change the way you think about different diseases, different illnesses, because the kingdom of heaven is near, and God wants to use you to to deal with that. Now, what would happen if we were to shift our thoughts and see things, not through our vision, but see things through the eyes of God? What if we changed the way we thought, and at the forefront of our mind was was the solution and not the problem? What if we were to change the way that we thought? You know, Devin, Devin and Carol have been on quite the journey for the last couple months, and uh, Devin shared with me recently that he, he came to church one Sunday, and he, he had this uh, headache, and it slowly got worse throughout the day. And then by, later in the day, it was so bad, Carla just went up to him, and I don't know if she was, like, angry or whatever, and just, like, devil, get out or whatever. And she, and she just laid hands on him and prayed, and then it was gone instantly. And then later on, their daughter Ava had a fever of 105. That's bad. It was sustained fever, 105. And, and they, they, Devin laid hands on prayed for her instantly. The temperature went down to 102, just like that to a much more safer range. Okay, what if we were to change the way we thought about injuries and illnesses? What if our first instinct was to pray? I believe that God also wants to change the way people think here. Uh, Change the way that you think about how God wants to use you. Or the fact that God does want to use you. I believe there's people here that are are withholding something. And I believe that God, you know, there's not one unusable person in the kingdom of God Every single one is usable. Every single person, nobody has forgotten. Change the way you think about how God wants to use you to walk in the miraculous. That verse is, is really the driving force behind my message this morning, and it's been my heart's cry for, since August, is just chasing after what God has in store for this church, and, and what God has in store for every single one of us, in the miraculous of God. And I believe that he is, is about to bust loose some, some miracles in this place, and he's going to use every single one of us to walk in that. You know, these days that we're in, there's, there's, there, I think there's a shift in the culture of this church. There's a shift in the culture. And we're at a place where we're not, we're not satisfied with just where we're at. We're only satisfied when we get to the place where God wants us to be. Because I believe that there's such a hunger in this place for the things of God. And, and it's that kind of hunger that feeds revival. It's that hunger that stirs revival. It's that hunger of our souls chasing after God and meeting what God wants for us. And, and, and culture culture shift uh, in the church is actually sustained by hungry souls. You know, uh, Avery was sick uh, two weeks ago and. She didn't want to eat, and it drove me crazy. Like, you just kept trying to feed her, but she's sick, and so she's not hungry, right? But every parent knows that when your kid is sick, they're not hungry, right? And I believe the same to be true spiritually. If we're not hungry after God, if we're not hungry after the things of God, after the character of God and who he is, then we're not right, that there's something inside of us that that we're unwell, that we need need check to, to, to start chasing after God. And I believe that to sustain revival, we need to cultivate a culture of an appropriate environment in order to sustain the miraculous. All living things require an appropriate environment in order to flourish. We went down to Arizona a couple years ago, and, and uh, we went golfing one day, and, and it was beautiful. It was uh, like lined in the fairways where, where were these cactus, and they're huge, I love them. They're like 12, 15 feet tall. And I was like, oh man, how can I take one of these home? This would be so cool. Just like pick one up and plant it in my backyard. No, no. Um, but I, I fell in love with these things. They're so cool. But how many know that if I were to dig that up and plant it in Kingston, it would die in the first frost, right? It wouldn't last because of the environment. It wasn't in, it's not the appropriate environment in order to sustain it. Now, by the time I reached the 18th hole, I had lodged about eight golf balls into these cactus. And, you know, once you get up a golf ball in a cactus, you ain't getting it back. That's a one-way trip, right? Uh, it was funny, like... You, you look from the tea box to the green and, like, lodge golf balls all on one side. And you turn around and it's like, these beautiful green cactus. Like, that's nice. Um, but anyways, um, I believe the same to be true spiritually. That there needs to be an appropriate environment in order to sustain the miraculous move of God. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus could only perform so many miracles because of the environment that he was in. The environment did not support the miraculous. But this here is a house of miracles. This is a house in which supports the miraculous. You know, every Sunday we come, we, we come expecting God to move. We come expecting to hear him speak. We come expecting to see him act. And, and, and that's every single day. And if revival is to continue, I believe that that needs to go with us. You know, if we were to meet anywhere else outside of this building, the presence of God would go with us, right? When you go to school tomorrow, when you go to work tomorrow, that presence of God that you carry is still going with us. Nothing changes between here today and you tomorrow at work or school other than the fact that you went to bed, Right? And if we lose the Holy Spirit, we go to sleep, I would never go to bed, ever, okay? But the Holy Spirit goes with us in that same way. And we, as a church, I believe that we have have placed ourselves, we've readied ourselves and humbled ourselves before God and stirred up a hunger before God, and he's about to release new levels of the kingdom onto this church. New levels of God's glory that we've never seen before. We've seen a lot of miracles, we've seen a lot of great stuff happen, but I believe that that is just a taste. And I've tasted and seen, and it is good... It is good. So, this morning and next week, I'm going to be sharing seven keys and how to cultivate a culture of the miraculous. Step number one is recall your positioning. Recall your positioning as a child of God. Now, that word miracles uh, in the Greek as three different words there are three different words that define the word miracles one of them is the word dunamis and we've talked about that a lot in church uh, and it means strength power and ability and we've uh, we've read it in acts chapter 1 verse 8 it says but you shall receive power or you shall receive dunamis when the holy spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem there's that word dunamis that word dunamis is defined as God's miracles okay we are A dunamis people. You, when you receive the Holy Spirit, how many people receive the Holy Spirit? When you came to Christ, you received the Holy Spirit. I'm the only one. Sweet. Okay, Uh, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive a download of the dunamis of God onto your life. And that dunamis is what carries the miraculous of God. You and I are dunamis people. We are people of the miraculous. We carry the miracles of God everywhere we go. Do you believe that? Now, what do we do with that? It says in the second part of that verse, it says we become witnesses. We witness to the lost through the miraculous. I believe that the most effective way of reaching the lost, of evangelizing, is through the miraculous. It says right here that that as soon as they received the dunamis of God, they went out and they became witnesses to the rest of the world. That dunamis is the same word that we get the English word dynamite from. Okay, We are carriers of spiritual dynamite everywhere we go. For all intents and purposes, you're Christian terrorists. You and me are Christian terrorists, meant to terrorize the devil everywhere we go. <laughs> just realized these are recorded online, right? <laughs> I just called all, of us, I called all of us terrorists. That's great. The CIA is going to be knocking on my door in the morning. That's great, though. I can go to jail, and then it can be like Peter, and y'all can like, pray for me, and I'll just like bust loose. Yeah. All right. Uh, 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God is not just of talk, but of power. Hey, guess what? We see that word dunamis again. Kingdom of God is not just of talk, but of dunamis. It's that same word. And if we are to be true examples of, of, of Jesus, I believe that we need to exhibit the miraculous everywhere we go. You know, Jesus did so much more than just talk. He had a walk behind his talk. He exhibited the miraculous everywhere he went. And I believe that... that... So we can represent Christ, but I believe that we, can represent, we don't represent Christ in the fullness if we're not displaying the miraculous of God. Don't get me wrong, we can still represent Christ in the gospel and in our walk with God, but I believe we're not representing him to the absolute fullest measure if we're not walking in the display of the miraculous of God. If I could be bold enough to say we're even not showing the love of God to the fullest if we're not displaying the miraculous. And i got a verse to back that up. Um... First John three eighteen says, Let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. That word actions in the Greek is the word ergon. That word ergon means miracles. How cool is that? Let us not love with words or speech, but with miracles and in truth. Come on, that is so good. We have everything that we need. We have been downloaded, everything we need for the miraculous. God has placed it on us, the dunamis on us, the aragon on us, so that we can walk in the miraculous and nothing can hold us back. I don't believe that it's going to be uh, uh, our pleasure in just getting to heaven that's going to cause other people to, to come to Christ, but it's going to be our witness through the miraculous, through the display of what God has in the miraculous that's going to cause other people to come to Christ. You know, Jesus didn't, didn't perform any miracles until the Holy Spirit fell upon him. He didn't do any miracles until the Holy Spirit fell upon him. Mark chapter 1 verse 11. We see Jesus getting baptized and then um, so John the Baptist is baptized and, and uh, in Mark chapter 1 verse 11 there's this voice from heaven so the, so the heavens tear open and then there's this voice from heaven. That says you are my son. It's God declaring to Jesus. You are my son in whom I love and in you I am well pleased. You just pause for a second. You ever put yourself in the shoes of the people that are there? Could you imagine just like going out for a stroll and then and then you say, oh yeah, hey, there's Jesus getting baptized, and then all of a sudden (laughs) the heavens start tearing open, and there's this big booming voice from heaven says, "This is my son, in whom I love, and in you I am well pleased." And then you expect some like big eagle to come flying out, but there's this little dove that just tweet 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 and just falls on Jesus' shoulder. Would that not be the weirdest thing? Am I the only one that looks at the Bible like that? Man, I'm weird. In this moment, God is declaring to the world the identity of Jesus. God is saying to the world, this is my son. I love him and I'm so pleased in him. And it wasn't until this moment... Until this moment when Jesus' identity was revealed to the world that he went and started walking in the miraculous. Nothing before he, his identity was released until he walked in, in the miraculous. And I believe the same to be true to you. This word is spoken to you as well. You are a son and a daughter. And you, in you, God loves you. And in you, he is well pleased. Take that verse for yourself. Ryan, you are a son of God. He loves you. And in you, He's well pleased. Take that verse for yourself. Write that verse down. That verse describes who you are in your identity so that you can then go and walk in the miraculous. I believe we need our identity to be firmly established so that we can walk in that. And when we know who we are, we can be confident and have no hesitation and nothing can stop us from walking in the miracles that God has for us. Later on, Jesus is constantly refilling himself in in the miraculous. Or sorry, in time spent with the Father, he's constantly refilling himself. He goes up to the mountaintop and he has these awesome encounters with God. spends hours in in, in an encounter with God, and he comes back down and he's like shining. He's like lightning bolt Jesus, like those youth who know exactly what I'm talking about, um, lightning bolt Jesus, and he's glowing. And then the the miracles just flow out of him. Like literally, people just touch the hem of his garment and they get healed instantly. Everybody who touched the hem of his garment was healed instantly. And remember that everything that Jesus did was as man and not as God. He he gave up his heavenly privileges and he did everything that he did as an example for you and for me so that we could do the same things and even greater. Philippians 2.7 says, Instead, Jesus gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He did everything as a man, not as God. He did everything as an example so that we could do the same things. I heard a story recently about a guy... Who, who lives in, in, in the presence of God and he understands his identity and he, he, he overflows God. And he was out one day getting groceries and he was down the salad aisle and he picked up this this Greek salad and he was about to throw it in his cart and he's like, change his mind. And so he threw it back. And there was this lady behind him that was walking and, and she had been suffering from ovarian cysts for years and she's in so much pain all the time. And she went up and she grabbed that Greek salad for herself, the same one that he had set down, put it in a cart, and the second that her hand touched the plastic, those ovarian cysts were gone, just instantly, just like that. That's called an accidental miracle, okay? That is, that is God showing off, and, and, but he overflowed the power of God, right? In time spent with the Father, that is us refilling, recharging our batteries so that we can be little Energizer bunnies for Jesus, and everything we touch can become miracles. Change the way you think change the way you think about how God wants to use you. Ephesians 3:20 says now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. You know, we all want God to do the abundant things in our lives. But the responsibility is actually on our part. According to this verse, the abundant the the uh, the, uh the responsibility is on us. It's according to the power that works in us. It means that we are going to see all those things. We will see all the abundant, exceedingly abundant above all things. We are going to see those, those miracles and all those things. But it's as we allow God's power to work in us. See, if we inhibit or if we prevent the release of that in our lives, if we inhibit that power from growing, then that in turn inhibits what we're able to see in the miraculous. Does that make sense? God is able, but he chooses to use us. He chooses to co-labor with us. See, the onus isn't on God. The onus is actually on us. You know, so often we'll, we'll pray for someone and we'll quote the first part of that verse and say, and say God, you're, you're able to do exceedingly abundant things and, 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 and we pray that, that, that your power would come and, and, and more than all that we can think or we can do. And then we say, God, you do. But God's like, no, you do. That verse says, according to the power that works in us, not according to the power that works in me according to the power that works in you is that power working in you this morning is that power working inside of you this morning god chooses us to to co-labor with he chooses to allow that power to work in us and when we allow god to become lord of every area of our life and not just the savior then the impossible becomes possible and not just possible but it becomes probable and we start to allow that to take over Revelation 5.10 says you made them to be a kingdom and they will reign on earth. And Revelation 1.6 says you are, he has appointed us as a kingdom. He has declared that every single one of his children is a kingdom. That you carry with you a kingdom. The kingdom power. Everywhere you go spreading the kingdom of God and all that it has to offer. That word kingdom means the king's domain or ownership of the king. Governing territory of the king or having the influence of a king it describes everything that you possess now if this is true why can't we see the miracles happen every single day in our lives if this is true why can't we go into the dark areas of kingston and claim that territory for god and see the miracles take place out there the only thing i believe that's stopping us from seeing that is our perception of ourselves who do you see when you look in the mirror Do you see a kingdom? You are a kingdom. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a kingdom. You're a kingdom. You know, Revelation 5.10, you are made to be a kingdom. You are made to reign on earth. You know, there's... Uh, I started doing this. Carly doesn't know this yet. Uh, I started writing down all these verses. And, and once I get a whole bunch of verses on my identity in Christ and knowing who I am, I'm going to put them on post-it notes and put it around our mirror so that when I'm brushing my teeth every morning, I can look and be like, yeah, 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 that's me. And start filling up uh, my identity in Christ and realizing who I am so that I can walk in the power that God has for me. And then I can start overflowing into those accidental miracles. And it will stir up my faith Number one, key number one is recall your positioning as a child of God. Number two is remove doubt and fear. Joel chapter 2 verse 28 and 29 says, It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions, and also on my menservants and my maidservants. I will pour out my spirit in those days just a few minutes, I'm going to give you guys a glimpse of what the Spirit of God is doing throughout the world, and it is absolutely beautiful, but I believe that we need to raise our expectations of what God wants to do in this house. There's a calling on each and every one of you, on me, on you, to raise our expectations to what the Spirit of God wants to do, and it starts with each and every one of us. I love what Pastor Ray said a few weeks ago, that you are the revival it starts with you. You are the revival. I don't believe that this revival that we're seeing is going gonna, is gonna to be carried by the big-name pastors or the big speakers, but it's going to start in the person sitting right next to you. That's where revival is happening, and that's where it's going to spread like wildfire. God has called on us to bring about the power. You know, in the Old Testament, um, God flooded the earth. He, he, he poured out uh, water. He flooded the earth when there was disobedience and chaos. Under the Old Testament, under the law, He flooded the earth. That was his response to all the chaos that was going on. But you look at the New Testament, and in the New Testament, we are under grace. And what is God's answer to all the chaos and disobedience that's going on in the earth? He's flooding the earth again, but he's not doing it with water. He's doing it with the Holy Spirit. There is a flood of the Holy Spirit coming onto this place and all across the world. You know, the world around us may appear to be in shambles. You turn on the news, and that's all you see. You look on, on the internet, on Facebook, whatever. You see all the chaos that's going on around the world. It looks like there's a civil war going to happen in the States between the left and the right and the up and the down. And you look at, at the, the Middle East, it looks like there's going to be World War III starting right there. But can I tell you that, 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 that that's not actually the case. God is actually doing more good than the world is doing evil. You guys believe that? Just, it's just not in the news, okay? Okay. It may appear to be a mess at the top, but God doesn't work from the top down. Historically, God's always worked from the bottom up. He works from the bottom up. 1 Corinthians one twenty six twenty eight says, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called... Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that they are. God loves a good underdog story. He takes the lowly of the world. He takes the underdog and he uses them to transform a nation and transform a world. He doesn't take the big name pastor. I believe he takes the lowly ones of the world. Um, you know God is doing some amazing things around the world and uh, I want to share a couple things that I've found um, that God is doing throughout the world that that we would never hear about in the news Uh, today in India there's an explosion in the Christian movement every single day 25,000 people are coming to Christ every single day in Iraq where ISIS has been a stronghold for years Hundreds of soldiers every single day are laying down their weapons and picking up Jesus Christ. Every single day. We heard a missionary at a conference we were at recently. And there's this guy who goes to Iraq uh, two or three times a year. And they had performed this kids camp. Uh, there were about a thousand kids there from villages all around Iraq. And this seven-year-old just received the power of the Holy Spirit so strong, so, so strong. And, and he went home back to his little village. He's seven years old, he planted four churches in that village. A seven-year-old. Today, in Indonesia, there are 12 times as many Christians today as there were 40 years ago. In China, despite the government's attempt to restrict the growth of Christianity, okay, they're burning down megachurches, they're beating Christians in the street. Despite all of that, there's a growth of a rate of 300% of Christianity in the last 35 years. And in the next few years, China will be recognized as the most Christian nation in the world. What's, the, what's most remarkable about all the stuff that's going on in the world is the, is the radical shaking of the islamic world there are muslims coming to christ in droves there are more muslims this stat is absolutely mind-blowing there are more muslims that have committed to follow christ in the last 10 years than there have been in the last 1500 you tell me the spirit of god isn't pouring himself out on the world right now In Pakistan, there's an estimated two and a half to three million born-again Pakistani believers worshipping Jesus Christ. Entire towns and villages along the Afghan-Pakistani border are coming to Christ. Entire towns and villages. In Egypt, there's an estimated two and a half million followers of Christ. Many of them are Muslim converts. In Africa, every single day, 16,000 Muslims come to Christ. Every single day. Wow. None more than Mozambique in the ministry of uh, Heidi and Roland Baker, where they they can't even keep track of all the church plants, but I think the last numbers were around 40,000 church plants that they have in a nation in which Christianity didn't exist, I don't know, a couple decades ago, but now it represents over 50% of the religion in Mozambique. Why am I sharing all this? Sometimes we need to shut off the news in order to hear what's actually going on in the world. I don't know about you, but it's impossible to not get fired up when I hear those kind of testimonies. Is that not amazing? There's a man who studies uh, religion in the Middle East. He prepared a questionnaire. And over a period of three years, he asked 100 Christian converts from Islam how it was that they came to faith. When asked, what was the major factor in drawing you to Christ, 60% of the respondents acknowledged that they had experienced a relevant dream or vision or both prior to their conversion. 60%. Why is this so significant? Acts 2.17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men will see visions and your, sorry, your young men will see visions and your old men will see dreams. Dream, dreams. We are living in the days which the spirit of God is pouring himself out on all flesh last couple of months i 've been soaking myself in the testimony of what god 's been doing throughout the world i 've been just just marinating in, in all the different things that god 's doing and the, from the testimonies around the world and, and they 're literally just Hundreds of thousands of people coming to Christ and, and responding to the to the power of God. There, there are, are Muslims, there are Buddhists receiving the Holy Spirit. There there are, are Catholics, there are Protestants. There, there's the Baptist Church. There's there's atheists that are, that are just getting getting the Holy Spirit poured upon them, and they're just out in the Spirit, slain in the Spirit, drunk for days in the power of the Holy Spirit, and they wake up so empowered, so fired up that they don't know what to do. So they go lay hands on someone, or they go cast out a demon, or they go raise the dead. All these people are, are just they're just he's pouring out his Spirit on. People People who aren't even expecting the the Spirit of God, who don't even know the Spirit of God, so how much more is God going to pour the Spirit on those who are hungry after Him? How much more? We were at a conference with the youth uh, a couple weeks ago. I'm there's a church from Ottawa that, that really didn't know who the Holy Spirit was. They didn't know anything about the power of the Holy Spirit. And then in worship, it was just so mind blowingly powerful. And one of our youth went up and, and, and started prophesying over one of these kids. And, and then later on, a couple of them went over and, and prayed for one and just started bringing the healing of God, the power of God's healing onto them. And they were just so wrecked. God, the Spirit of God is pouring Himself out on all flesh, on people who aren't expecting it. That's so beautiful. There's one missionary who gave this testimony. He says evangelizing in Muslim countries is often illegal, which is why we find that allowing Jesus to communicate through the supernatural can be particularly effective. He also says that criticizing Islam is a punishable offense in many of the nations that I've lived. So almost our entire approach to engaging Muslims is through the supernatural encounters of God. Acts fourteen three says so. Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there, speaking boldly for the Lord, who who confirms their message of His grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. It is our our witnesses enabled by the signs and the wonders. You know, if I can be brutally honest for a minute, um, there's a pattern that's happening in our country that's rather alarming. In the last couple years. there's been decisions made that have been leaning towards limiting free speech in our country. Uh, making it illegal to question certain lifestyles. Making it illegal to question other religions. Uh, I don't want to get into specifics, but if you want to look it up, it's uh, Bill C-16, C-89, and Motion 103. Um, what I'm saying is this. is uh, When does this pattern stop? Will it get to the point of what it's like in the Middle East in which it is completely illegal to talk about Jesus in the streets. I don't know. But I certainly see the writing on the wall. And there are uh, some European countries that have gone down the same path, but 10, 15 years ago, and they're currently reaping the destruction of those decisions that they made. What I'm proposing is this, is that we, had, we better get ready now to display the power of God, because we make it wake up to a country in which we're not allowed to talk about Jesus. Is that extreme? You betcha. Is it a possibility? Can't say it's not. And I pray every day that that doesn't happen, that we don't get to that point. <clears throat> but it's pretty clear to me that there's currently a de Christianization of our culture going on. You look around Christmas time in office buildings, government office buildings, and, and the mall and stuff, you can't even put up a nativity scene because it's too offensive. You can't say Merry Christmas because it's not all-inclusive, right? You have to say Happy Holidays. We're slowly but surely seeing the de-Christianization of our culture. But the greatest thing is that in, in all of history, you look at the greatest persecution of the church, you always see the greatest revival happen. So if we're going to be persecuted, hey, let's take advantage of that. and let's, let's stir up the greatest revival that the church has ever seen. Amen? I think we are on the doorstep of the greatest move of God, that it's happening in our midst. And if, that, if that's happening, it means there's going to be an explosion of evangelism. And evangelism is changing. Evangelism isn't the same as what it used to be. I don't think it's going to be through a teaching course that's going to lead people to Christ. But it's going to be a display of the miraculous power of God and the signs of wonders that leads multitudes to Christ. Evangelism in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 5. Um, people lined the streets of Jerusalem and, and thousands of people got saved and then they came to Christ because of that. In Acts chapter 9 in Joppa, Peter raised Tabitha from the dead and most of the city came to Christ because of that. Okay, in Acts chapter 9, in the entire city of Lydda, Lydda, whatever, the entire city came to Christ because Peter healed Anais. The entire city came to Christ because of one healing. In Acts chapter 8 verse 6, it says the crowds were eager to receive Philip's message. Excuse me, I lost my page here. <laughs> the crowds were eager to receive Philip's message and were persuaded by the many miracles and wonders he performed. If I can propose to you that it is through power activation that will lead to soul transformation. There's another miracle in Acts chapter 3, and Peter, John, they go for, Peter and John, they go for a walk, and they see this lame man, and he's looking for a handout, and, and he's, they say to him, Silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Get up and walk. And he starts walking. And then all these people come flooding around be like, what happened? And then there's a huge crowd of people. And so they're like, hey, might as well take advantage of this. Let's preach the gospel. And so and this account says 5,000 people came to Christ in one miracle. One single miracle led to 5,000 people coming to Christ. The entire town of Gananoque got saved because one person got healed. How amazing is that? If every miracle has the potential of 5,000 people coming to Christ, don't you think the devil's going to try and cut it off at the source, at you and at me, and trying to say, who are you to be performing a miracle? Is he not going to feed into your anxiety? Is he not going to feed into your nervousness, into your fear of man, into, into you being uncomfortable? Is he not going to feed into that? Say, who are you to do this? But if I can propose a principle to you that has absolutely no theological backing whatsoever, but I believe it to be true, I believe the sweatier the palms, the bigger the miracle. If you're shaking in your boots, God's about to move. I've seen it, trust me, I know. I know. Uh, Frank DiMaggio says this. He says, you cannot discover new oceans unless you have the courage to lose sight of the shore. Unless there is a risk, there's no need for faith. I'm going to share a pivotal point in this message that... um, we need to change the way we think about how we support other people in the miraculous. Um, you know, we live in such a results driven culture that we need to see results. We need to see numbers. We need to see the proof. But God is more pleased with a risk taken than the result given. If this is true, does it matter if we pray for someone and they don't get healed? In the eyes of God, no. God is just pleased when we go and pray for that person, He is pleased by the step of faith that's taken. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Is God not pleased by us just taking that step of faith to go pray for someone for healing? God's pleasure doesn't hang in the balance on the outcome of your prayer. It is faith expressed that pleases God. You know, we may never get it right. We may never see anyone get healed. How's that for motivation? We may never see anyone get healed. But what's important is that we get back up and we try again. You know, when Avery was learning to walk, she'd fall on her butt like 50 times a day. But as soon as she fell, she'd pick herself back up and she'd go again. Sometimes she'd even face plant and she'd get back up and do it again. Okay? If we pray for someone, we don't see them get healed. Dust ourselves off, go back and do it again. If we get a word of knowledge that it just isn't quite right, get back up and do it again. If we miss the mark, get back up, dust ourselves off, and go back at it and do it again. <clears throat> culture around us teaches that when a risk is taken and we don't get the results desired then we've failed but God sees risk taking through the eyes of love and acceptance and enjoyment he applauds when we try new things like praying for someone even though we've never seen a miracle take place we as a church I believe should start encouraging the stories of people who have tried and not seen breakthrough just the same as we applaud those who pray for someone and see a miracle we should be just as excited as someone who's taken that risk, taken a step of faith and said, I'm going to try this even though I've never seen anything happen before just because I believe God is who he says he is. I believe that we need to start celebrating those the same way we do when the miracle happens. You know, sometimes we can get into the mindset of, of just because I'm, I'm not... You know, just because I don't have the gifting of healing, just because I'm not on staff, just because I'm not a, a pastor or a leader, that who am I to be performing a miracle? But I believe that the biggest expansion of the revival that we're going to see is, is, is miracles in the marketplace. I believe that it's going to be you and it's going to be me and it's going to be in, in, in your workplaces that we're going to see the biggest expansion of revival. You know, when we step into the earthly impossibilities that God has destined for each and every one of us, despite what our title is at work. I'm a paramedic. Yeah, I see more sick people, more injured people than the average human being. But I just woke up one day and I said, you know what, God, I'm going to pray for every single patient I have. Don't tell anybody that. I could get in some serious trouble. <laughs> um, um, but I'm going to pray for everybody I have because I know that, that, God, you chose the lowly things of this world and you chose to use me. You chose to use every single one to bring healing. And I've seen, like, honestly, I've seen about 25% of people that I've prayed for get healed. That's pretty good. I'm pretty happy with that. If that were, like, Major League Baseball, I'd be, seeing, I'd be playing in the majors still about in two fifty that 's not bad, Okay, I woke up one morning and, and, and I understood this verse that first uh, Corinthians one twenty seven says instead God chose the things of this world, the things this world considers foolish in order to shame those who think that they 're wise, and He chose things that are powerless in order to shame the powerful i 'm completely powerless, but god 's going to use me to bring power into somebody 's life. I woke up and i said god i 'm available and i 'm willing to look like an idiot in order to see your kingdom come if that 's what it takes, bring it on. There is not one person that's unusable by God. And I think that God is truly sitting on the edge of his throne just waiting to show off a miracle. Just waiting for you to take that step of faith and say, I knew you had it in you, I'll honor that, and I'm going to perform a miracle because of that. We should encourage taking a step of faith because we never know when God's going to move. James 2.5 says, So listen carefully, my dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in the eyes of the world to be those who are rich in faith? Won't they be the heirs of the kingdom realm he promised to those who love him? i gonna share a couple points on this verse. It's very clear to me that God chooses by his grace to, to use those who have little respect in the world or, or the, the poor old me or little old me type of person. And I actually believe that God's, uh, in this season i are in. I actually believe that God is taking introverts and he's using them to shake the kingdom. You know, you don't have to be an extrovert to pray for someone. You don't have to be an extrovert to go see someone get healed. I think God's actually using introverts in this season. And he's he's not like changing their personality or anything, but he's putting his anointing, healing anointing on them, I believe. God's transforming lives. He chose he chooses the people with little respect in the world to be rich in faith and we're seeing that in the testimonies throughout the world. Look what he's doing across the world. You know, and this verse is also not talking about heaven, but it's talking about the here and now and the king all that the kingdom has to offer. Everything that we possess that the kingdom has to offer, which isn't a physical place, but it's talking about royalty and dominion and power. And when he's talking about those who love him, he's not specifically talking about the affection. And yes, obviously we are affectionate towards God, but I believe that it goes one step further than that. I believe that it involves obedience as well. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, obey my commandments. I think we can underestimate the power of obedience. I heard a story recently. Um, a pastor from England gave this testimony. Uh, he was at a conference many years ago. Uh, the staff who were hosting the conference asked the participants to fold the sheets on their bed before they left he thought this to be a rather odd request because in order to wash the sheets he would need to strip the bed anyways he had gone to the last session and the Lord kept reminding him to go back to the room because he had forgotten to fold the sheets he left during worship to go fold the sheets and continued on with the final session fast forward 20 years later A friend of his was dying of lung cancer and he was praying over him and he declared by faith that this man would receive new lungs as he heard it from the Lord while he was praying. Sure enough, this man was miraculously healed and apparently given new lungs as declared by the doctor. Later that day in prayer, the Lord spoke to him and said, Paul, the reason I gave you that word for healing was because you folded the sheets. Because you were obedient with the small things that I gave you. See, in Luke uh, 16.10, it says the one who manages little he has been given with faithfulness and integrity will be promoted and trusted with greater responsibilities. But those who cheat with the little that they have been given will not be considered trustworthy to receive more. Part of readying ourselves, I believe, includes a careful obedience of the small things. Obedience attracts the favor of God. If we're trustworthy with the little things, he's going to give us very much. And if we're desiring a revival, I believe that we need to steward the gift that God has given every one of us. The ability to heal through God in every single one of us. And putting into practice the things taught and obeying even the little things. Like maybe it's putting the paper towel that is beside the garbage, picking it up and putting it in the garbage. Or maybe it's folding the sheets. And all the wives said, Amen. Yes. Um... Uh, I want to share a quote with you. I'll finish with this. Um, I want to share a quote with you about. Uh, I have no idea who said it, but it's about Me- uh, Moses. It's about Moses and um, talking about obedience over faith. And it says, "You don't need sea parting ability, S.E.A. You don't need sea parting ability. You just need stick raising faith." I lied. I got one more verse for you. Ephesians three twenty, and this is in the Passion Translation, which I've been just living in recently. It's awesome. It says, never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all of this, all that the kingdom has to offer. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imaginations. And he will outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes you.